Good morning, 11 o'clock. Come on, 11.15. They found out Greg wasn't preaching, so they left a lot of seats open. Come on. Or they heard that I spit when I speak. So we got, we got you back here. It is such a joy to, to, to be here this weekend and to be a part of this great church all the time. You have moments, you have experiences that change the whole direction of your life. And that happened for me almost a year to the day. In fact, next Sunday will be a year to the day on Father's Day. I had gone to California with my family to do a family wedding. Now, let me give you a quick definition of a family wedding. There's not much humor in this sermon, so get prepared for the small amount there is, okay? A family wedding means that you get to fly everybody in the family to the wedding. You get to pay for all the expenses. You get to do the wedding as the pastor. Now, the DJ gets $1,800, and the venue's $23,000, but the pastor gets X out golf balls. Come on, people. That's funny. Yeah, you didn't even laugh. That's it. That's all you get. But it really was a great experience, and uh, we got to bless Ashley and her, her, her marriage. And uh, the next day, after this beautiful wedding in the mountains, in the apple orchard, it was unbelievable, we had uh, a breakfast, kind of a brunch, on Father's Day. And we were at that table. Everything was going great. I was kind of contemplating, my, am I going to get to pay for this also? Come on. Am I going to be more insolvent after all this? That actually crossed my mind. And then my phone I had on vibrate because I didn't want to mess up the, the lunch or the brunch. And uh, it began to vibrate. And I looked down and saw the name Cliff Porter. Now, Cliff literally is my best friend in Phoenix. He came the third week of our church plant in 1987, had not been in church Gave his life to Christ along with Elena. And these are two marvelous people. They have five kids. I performed the wedding for four of the kids. One was a miracle kid about eight to ten years later. And so I'll be doing Chad's wedding coming up here in the next, next year or so. And, um, but I saw Cliff's name on my phone. It's a phone call you don't want to receive. And I even got nervous in my gut because it was Father's Day and Cliff's an amazing father, amazing grandfather. We have a great friendship, but we don't call each other to say, I knew Cliff wasn't going to say, hey, Robin, you're a great dad. Don't look at me like that. I am. Come on. But he's not going to say, he's not going to say, you're an unbelievable grandfather, which I'm Papa, you know, to all my grandkids. I slid the phone, and the moment I picked it up, I could only hear crying. He was weeping. He could barely talk, and I knew something was really wrong. And somehow he got out and I slipped away from the table. Daniel was just killed in a head-on collision. Alcohol involved, 30 years old. His son grew up with my daughter, Annie. This precious kid to me. And I began to cry and I, and I, and I, and I walked out slowly. The rest, Julia could tell something was wrong. So my wife, she followed me out. And I just kind of kept saying, no, no, tell me this isn't true. You, you ever have those kind of calls? And, and then he could barely talk, but he, he finally started getting some things out. And he told me a little bit about it. And then he said, we just found out. And you're my f second call. He said, and then he said these three words. I'll never forget. He said, I need you. I need you. Now, Greg doesn't know this because Greg's only pastored one church. I have a policy. I don't go back to do funerals and weddings, you know, if they're still at the church because this church has only had two pastors and they have a wonderful pastor. But you have such an awesome pastor. He's only been at one church. You want to give it up for that? That's awesome. He doesn't have to have that policy, you know. Um, 
But he said, I need you. And the reason I was his second call, he had already called Pastor Allen and told Allen, I need Robin. And then he said these phrases back to back. He was crying, but he was a little more clear. He said, Robin, you, you led Daniel to Christ. You remember that, don't you? You baptized Daniel in the backyard, my backyard, with your daughter. We were a church plant. We were at a school, so we were baptizing people in anybody's swimming pool, whatever. And then he said, then, then you know what? You believed in Daniel through some hard times, and then you did Daniel's wedding. And then when Daniel had his daughter, you dedicated his daughter. And I need you to come, and I need you to tell some stories that only you can tell about Daniel. And I remember he was crying so hard, I said, I will do whatever you ask me. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. And I told him I was in California. I said, Cliff, I need to tell you I'm not in town in, in Indiana. I'm, I'm in California doing a family wedding. We're going to leave here Tuesday. He said, well, we, we already know the funeral's going to be Saturday. I said, can you call me Tuesday? And he said, that's going to work perfect. I'll be at the funeral home Tuesday between 3 and 5. And I said, look, I'll be at LAX between 3 and 5. I said, you give me a call and tell me what you need me to do. And he said, well, we already know we want you to speak, but I'll tell you what I need you to do. And so I went to LAX that Tuesday, and I remember getting there. The air conditioning was out at the airport. You remember these kind of experiences, you know, and everybody was kind of sw- I sweat all the time anyway, so don't worry about me. But, uh, um, but it was even hotter than you can believe. And uh, so I took the family there. We get, lines were long last summer for the airplane, so we were there even three hours early. And we got some food. And then I, I said to Julie, I need to make a couple calls before. And then I said, Cliff's going to call me and tell me what he needs from me this coming, this coming weekend. And so my daughter had just had two crisis experiences. My oldest daughter, Leah, she's a songwriter. She's a recording artist. She's done four albums. And she's a writer. But she had just written two songs, one for her mother-in-law who had died of cancer about a month earlier. And, and she had written a song for that funeral for her father-in-law. And then, if you followed the national news, my son-in-law that married Leah is a blue angel, and he served for three years, and now he's doing some other things with the Marines. But his best friend, if you followed the national news, Jeff Roos, a blue angel, had passed out in one of the tricks, and, 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 and we lost a blue angel last, last year, if you followed the national news. And Jeff Roos was Aaron's best friend, and Christina, his wife, was my daughter's best friend. And they hung out, and they did play dates together as blue angels and all that stuff. So Leah had written a song for her. So I told Julie, I'm going to make a couple calls. I'm going to call my friend Daryl Powell to see if I can have him record these two songs for Leah. Now let me tell you about Daryl. Daryl is the best recording person that I know. I met Daryl when I was 19 years old. And just to give you a fun moment here in the 11 o'clock service, I, I was in the first recording session for Sandy Patty when she did her first album in what was called Burlap Sound. Now, Daryl, I, I want you to hear this clearly. He's become the best at what he does. He's an engineer. He's a mixer. He has his own studio. So he's done all the albums for Sandy. He's done all the albums for Stephen Curtis Chapman. I went to college with both these people. And then for Bill Gaither, he served him for 40, 45 years. And, and he's done all those kind of mixing. and albums. He's just the best at what he does. He's crossed over into the country field. He, he's the best. Have I said that clear enough? This guy's unbelievable. So I'm going to call him. He's done my daughter's albums. And, and, and so I call Daryl and I say, hey, I need a big favor. I say, we call him Dag. I say, hey, Dag, um, I need a favor for Leah. 
I said, you know, her mother-in-law died, and then, and then Christina, her husband, the Blue Angel, died, the best friends that they have. And she wrote songs for both of these funerals. And I said, here's the favor. Leah's going to be with me in a couple weeks. Can she record these two songs and give them to her father-in-law and to Christina as a gift? And then I said, come on, there's not much humor. Here's the next part of humor. I need Robin Wood's price. Come on, hold up a zero. Come on. Have him and, and he laughed. He said, Robin, you got it, bud. Don't worry, man. He said, I love your daughter, and, and it'd be great to see Leah again. Can't wait to hear this. And she wrote two precious songs for these people. So he said, you got it. Now, Daryl had cancer the same time I had open-heart surgery about three years ago. And we both kind of faced something really bad could happen. We might not, our life might not go on. And we kind of walked through that together, and then we committed to each other. We'd get together every month because he lives right here in Summitville. But we haven't done it. And so he began to profusely apologize, Robin, why aren't we getting together? You're so important to me since you were 19, I was 21. And, and so he's an awesome guy. And I say, so we recommitted to get together, which we've now done since last year. But uh, he apologized. And then, listen, I want you to hear this. Out of nowhere, I, don't know why, I still don't know why I asked this question. But I said, hey, Dag, before I hang up, what are you doing these days? That's what I ask. Now, I'm real high-wired, and I don't know why God does this, but God gives us opposites in our life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm real high-wired, and Daryl doesn't even have a heartbeat. No, he, listen, I asked him once if he was excited during an exciting moment, and he said, absolutely. Come on, that, is that exciting? That's as excited as I've ever seen him. He, I mean, he just has no pulse or anything. And I said, hey, Dag, what are you doing these days? Now, I want you to hear this. I'll try to say it exactly the way he said it. Robin, you know me. I do what I do. Yeah, look at me like it doesn't, there's nothing. That's so inspiring. I had chills go through my body. I did. I had chills go through my body, and I said, Daryl, I said, Dad, what did you just say? He said, God gives me these catchphrases. I said, tell me again. He added a phrase. Look at me. He said, you know how God uses me. I do what I do. Come on, people. You're looking at me like not very inspirational. That was off the chart. So I walked over to my wife. Now, God gives me catchphrases like, what are the odds? And everybody's got something big going on, and you never know who's going to be faithful. And I walked over to Julia in the airport after I hung up. I said, in fact, before I hung up, I said, Daryl, I will take this message across the country. I'm not real influential, but every church plant I go to, you know, we're planting two churches right now. I said, everywhere I go, I'm going to preach this message. I do what I do. Because all of life would change if people would only do what God asked them to do. If they would do their spiritual gift, if they would do their calling, if they would do their particular call from God. Their relationships would change, their marriage would change, their relationships with their kids. Are you with me? And I walked over to Julia and I said, Julia, God just gave me the next great catchphrase. I asked Daryl what's he doing and he said, I do what I do. What do you think? And she looked at me like you. You people are making me feel real uncomfortable. And guess what she said? Not very inspirational. Come on, people. That's crazy. Not very inspirational. And I walked away. I was one of those husbands that walked away muttering, not very inspirational. Look at me. In 30 seconds, my cell phone rang, and it was Cliff. When I picked up the phone, you know how the Bible talks about weeping and wailing? I could literally hear people groaning and crying out at this funeral home over the phone. And he was crying. And I said, Cliff, I, here I am, bud. I said, what do you need? 
And here's what he said to me. He was crying, but he said, I need to tell you something. We need you to speak on behalf of Daniel and tell his story on Saturday. And then he said, you remember when you were our pastor? I don't know if you remember. You used to say you would never, ever misuse a funeral. You would never give an altar call or a call to Christ at a funeral. In the emotion of the moment, you, you're not going to make people do what they won't do later on. And I kind of forgot I made a big deal of that, that I wouldn't do that at a funeral. And then he said, I want you to suspend that belief. There'll be over a thousand people at this funeral. And listen, listen what the next words were. These are his literal words. He said, Robin, I'm going to make it real clear. I want you to do what only you do. Look at me, people. I said, would you say, I just walked away from Julia saying, I do what I do. And she said, not very inspirational. And he says, I need you to do what only you do. And I said, would you say that one more time? He said, Robin, I need you to do what you do. And I responded saying one phrase, look at me. I will do what I do. You want to say it with me? I will do what I do. Come on, say it with some energy. I will do what I do. Because at the end of this service, I'm going to ask you to say to God, I will do what you call me to do. And I went to that funeral and I told two stories. Let me tell you one of them about Daniel. Daniel was only 12, 13 years old. We, we didn't have a youth group. We had six kids after five years. Not going very well, right, for a youth group? We'd brought a full-time youth pastor that I thought was one of the best in the country. He is, by the way. And we couldn't grow beyond five, six, seven kids. But in that little group of kids was my own kid, Leah. And then Brady was going to be in the youth group within a year. And these six kids in 1992 prayed. Daniel was one of them. Prayed that we could start a youth service like 180. What you guys would call 180 here, Jeff. I want you to just soak this in. And they prayed, we called it Hot Church, because there was a song called Hot Church, Off Your Seats and Hit the Streets. You with me? And, uh, and so we sang that song at the opening of every service. But these kids prayed, listen to me, they prayed for 50 kids. Sometimes I get the number wrong, but I finally got it right this service because I went and looked at my book again. On Easter Sunday, 1992, they had 73 kids show up for a youth service, and 23 kids came to Christ. Come on, show me some emotion out there. That's awesome. Totally awesome. And Daniel was a part of that. And over the years, they led their friends to Christ. And Daniel had some challenges, but he never forgot this was the most important thing, was to bring kids to Christ. And during his whole youth career, we finally got to build a building for this youth group, just like you guys did for 180. And Greg told me this story recently, that the first night they built the new building here, that's now our little chapel over here, they were packed out. It was already too small. Is that awesome? You guys had vision for young people, and it was already too small. Well, we built a building, and the code on the wall, the first time we walked in, Daniel walked in. I was in the room. He walked over, and it said, seating code 383. And guess what Daniel did? He turned around and shouted, let's break the code. Come on, people. Come on. God makes people like this so that we win more kids for Christ. And so I told that story at the funeral. And then... I told two stories about I do what I do and that Cliff had called me and said, will you do what you do? And at the end of that funeral, I asked over a thousand people if they'd put Jesus at the center of their life. Look at me, people. 
Hundreds of people looked up. Hundreds of people raised their hand. Then I asked him even to stand. And I, I thought over half the crowd stood. Would you do what God asked you to do? I stayed for a few hours and prayed with people. The pastor there now, Alan, we, he, we got together and prayed. He said, this was just amazing. He said, something special happened today. He said, I want to tell you something I really respect. He said, I don't get to hang out with you, but you did what you do, man. That's what he said to me. So I left there. On Thursday of the next week, I got back here to Indiana. I was supposed to fly to Boise, Idaho for a wedding for another really good friend, Chris Gedney, played in the NFL, played for the Cardinals. Love to tell this story because I, I got to know Chris. He asked me to speak for many of the chapels. And Chris came to Christ. Chris was 6'5", you know, about 220-some. I'll never forget, we baptized him and lost half the water. Come on, people. It was awesome. I got to, it took a couple people to baptize Chris, and then he led his good friend Danny Salamua to Christ. Danny was a big Samoan, about 320. We took, really, literally took five of us to baptize Danny. We lost all the water. Come on. These are things you never forget. And, um, and so I was going to catch a flight to fly uh, to Boise to do this wedding. So I got up early in the morning. It was a 6.30 a.m. flight. It was up about 3.30, driving to Indianapolis. And when I got there, remember last summer, the lines were long. And uh, it was just five days later after the funeral. And I, I walked in. I didn't check any luggage. I know better than that. I ran my credit card. And it said, flight canceled to Vegas. Now, listen, there's no weather in Vegas. I mean, I'm, I'm from Phoenix. I thought, I've, this can't be true. So I looked at the lines. People, literally, there were two and 300 people deep. Now, no service has really enjoyed this as much as me, so as I tell this, please enjoy this. I did homeless ministry for 20 years. I thought, I can't get in line. I've got to get on a flight. I've got to get something to happen. So you know how in front of the, all the desks there, I just wandered like I was homeless. Come on, I know how to act like I'm homeless. You people are no fun at all. And then the, a gate opened, and I walked up to the gate, and I met Michelle with an S, and nobody even challenged me. Come on, I, that was a great moment for me. And so I went up, I met Michelle with an S, and I said, Michelle with an S, I never tell anybody this because I want people to like me, but I'm a pastor and I'm trying to get to a wedding for a dear friend and my flight just got canceled to Vegas. What happened? There's no weather in Vegas. She said, you're right, pastor. She goes, but they had monsoons last night and it really did rain. And so she said, it got flooded. She goes, I said, can you help me get there? And Michelle with an S, they don't talk to you. And she looked up and she said, it's not great but I'm going to get you to the wedding. You're going to miss the rehearsal. So he goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to catch a flight in about 45 minutes to Kansas City. Now think of Boise, Idaho, okay? She goes, then I'm going to send you to Oakland, and you're going to sit for eight hours. She said, then you're going to come back to Vegas, and you're going to land in Boise tonight at midnight. And I said, Michelle with an S, I don't know how to thank you. I need to get to this wedding. Thank you so much. Now, she said, listen, I'm going to print you one boarding pass. When you get to Kansas City, she goes, I need you to do something for me. She goes, find a kiosk with only one agent and no line and ask that person if something better is happening. You got it? See if something's better happening. So I got off the plane, and I walked up to the first kiosk, and no one in line, Quentin with a Q. Are you taking notes? If you wonder why I didn't put an overhead up there, I can't fill in the blanks right, and all you'd put in right now is I do what I do in Q. And Michelle with an S. Okay, here we go. So here's the deal. I go up to Quentin with a Q and I tell him the story. Quentin, Michelle with an S is trying to help me get to Boise for this way. I never tell anybody this, but I'm a pastor. I want people to like me, but I'm a pastor and I got to get to this, this wedding. And is there anything better happening? And look at me, people. 
He looked at me and went, and then he looked up and went like this. And I said, Quentin, that doesn't look too good. He said, well, you know, Michelle with an S, you guys must have had this long conversation. She typed all the notes. I see everything she tried to do, but she didn't book your ticket to Oakland. It was the last one. She forgot to book it. Come on, people groan with me. I said, how much trouble am I in? He said, you're in a lot of trouble. This is the 4th of July weekend. So, so I said, Quentin, is there anything you can do? He asked me to stand to the side. And then he made four phone calls. On the fourth phone call, here's what he said before he turned to me. So I can give away two $750 tickets to get this pastor to the wedding. He hung up and said, how much do you love me? Come on. That's what he said. I said, Quentin with a Q, I love you a lot. Now he said, now it's not great, but it's better than Michelle with an S. That's exactly what he said. He said, you're going to get on a plane in about an hour. Think of Boise. You ready for this? You're going to fly to San Diego. Come on, people. You're going to go to San Diego, but you're not going to get off the plane. That same plane's going to come back to Vegas. He literally said, you have time to play the slots. He said that to me. You people, be more fun out there. And then he said, you're going to get into Boise at 8 p.m. instead of midnight. I said, Quentin, Quentin, I do not know how to thank you. I do not. You bless me today. Look at me, people. Right at me and said, don't thank me. You want to say it with me? I do what I do. Come on, you can't make that up. I said, what did you say? He said, don't thank me, pastor. Say it with me. I do what I do. Unbelievable. I said, you got time for two stories? Come on, people. Now, you just hang there for a minute, will you? Just hang there a minute before I tell the end of the story. I'm not confused at what makes churches great. I'm not confused at why I'm thrilled to be here with Pastor Greg and at Union Chapel. I'm not confused because the Bible says in Romans 12 that everybody's been given specific gifts and certain manifestations. You can read 1 Corinthians 12 later today and Romans 12, and here's what you're going to see, that everybody has a unique gift. In fact, in Romans 1 Corinthians 12, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us that you've been given a special gift and manifestation that only you can do. And if you don't do it, the body won't be complete. In fact, it describes that everybody has a different one of 26, 27 gifts. And if you don't do your gift, it says not everybody has all the gifts. So the body can't be complete. It goes on to say, the ear can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the foot can't say to the ear, I don't need you. We need each other to be complete. So I'm not confused what makes churches great. They're only great if everybody does what they're called to do and gifted to do. That's the only reason churches become great. And many churches never do this. They never do their spiritual gift. Then Romans tells us more specifically, if you prophesy, prophesy with faith. Can I, can I talk about your pastor for just a moment? Nobody does what this guy does. When he got up today and said, I'm just one of the guys, I wish you would have booed him. He is not one of the guys. He is the guy with prophecy. And when he prophesies that we were going to plant 10 churches in 10 years, look at me, people. He did that with faith because he heard from God. 
when he prophesied about a month ago. I always watch this show online if I'm on the road trying to raise money for this church. So I was on the road when I heard him say, God spoke to me and he prophesied that somebody was going to help us with $2 million and you people didn't clap. Come on, people. And I came back. He knows. I came right to him and said, listen, I didn't miss that. He said, no, God laid on my heart. Someone's going to help us plant these. It takes about 200000 for each church. I said, you didn't come up with the, the million. I said, I would have said, ask for a million. No, because he prophesied what God told him. Come on. Are you excited about that? We don't have an average pastor. Come on, give it up. We don't have an average pastor. We have a pastor that when he prophesies, it's with faith. Now, if you read the Greek, in the Greek, it's have faith, and it implies have faith in people, not judgment. And let me tell you something. Beth, she's off the chart. Come on. God didn't just give us one leader. He gave us two. Come on, give it up for that. I've never seen, by the way, I've been here two years. There's never a service. I don't watch her pray with tons of people, touch tons of people, and just her miraculous story, just, just who she is. Come on. We receive And here's what it also says in Romans 12. If you lead the way they lead, lead with diligence. Never seen more diligence. Once a month, you may not know this, but he takes two hours to train the entire staff. Jeff, you know this happens all the time. He speaks into our life. Recently, he took us out to the cornfield, and we told the story. And we let all these young staff people understand what this story is. And we told the story of Archie again. From the moment Archie came to Christ, there's not been a week go by without someone being changed by the power of Jesus Christ. So if you lead, lead with diligence. It says if you serve, we got serve week coming up, guess what it says? Just serve. Just do what you do. If you give, give generously. Don't you think a $2 million gift would be generous? Yeah. If you give, give generously. If you do acts of mercy, like blood and fire. By the way, on my way out, Greg, of last service, I met Bob Ball's daughter. She said, you so touched me when you said, if you serve and do acts of mercy, do it cheerfully. She goes, my mom and dad are phenomenal. Because, you know, you can serve and become bitter. You can show acts of mercy and not be encouraged. But they do it cheerfully. And they do it with us. And blood and fire changes lives. Are you with me? I'm not confused what makes churches great. It starts with the leader. It starts with people like Pastor Jeff. Listen, Pastor Jeff, do you remember the vision for 180? Do you remember hundreds and hundreds of kids finding Jesus? I'm not confused about that because I planted a church in 1987. And the first Christmas, we had had like 40 conversions. And Diane Potter came up to me who had given her life to Christ in that first two months. And she said, Pastor, I know it's our first Christmas. I know you're overwhelmed by all the people. But she said, could we do something I just learned about called Angel Tree? Angel Tree was the Chuck Colson ministry to buy gifts for prisoners' kids. You guys, have you heard of Angel Tree? It's been going on a long time now. But in 1987, it was kind of brand new. And she said, what we'll do is we'll put these angels out and we'll have the people take it. And she goes, I'm not going to bother you. I will do this. It's not going to take any announcement up front. You just put it in the bulletin, and I'll recruit people as they come in and leave. And I watched this Diane Potter begin this the first Christmas. She put 25 angels out, and then she did come to me, and she said, I do need to make, you one, make one announcement. It's grown to 50 kids. We've already taken the 25. 
So we took 50 kids, this young church, and our family took an angel. We took three, in fact, because we had three kids. That was, hey, if you have three kids, maybe you could take three kids. So we took three angels. And I'll never forget going to that first house, the Figueroa house. We were going, what we thought was to visit three kids and one mom with a, a dad in prison. And so we bought the six gifts, and when we knocked on the door, look at me, people, there weren't three kids in this house or one mom. There were three moms with three husbands in prison and nine kids, and we fell apart. And the house looked kind of in shambles, and we kind of wanted to go in, and then they didn't want us to come in. I think they were embarrassed. Later, we found out why. I told them we would come back and do an interview with all the kids to see what they wanted for Christmas, and we would buy for all nine kids. So we brought back a translator. And let me tell you something. This cha- these moments change your life forever. We interviewed that family. We came into the house. There were no beds in the house. They were sleeping on the floors. There was no electricity. There was no heat. Even in Phoenix, it was cold, you know, in December. There was no electricity, so the refrigerator didn't work, and food was spoiled. Only one burner on the stove worked because it was a gas stove. They did have natural gas, and it was just a mess. There were two babies, and they were sick, and they hadn't seen a doctor, and they didn't have clothing enough, and they didn't have enough. They had no window coverings. They had no chest of drawers. Everything was just stacked up. It was just a disaster. No washer and dryer, no electricity, and I made a choice the next Sunday by the way, I'll tell Greg this, he'll know. Sometimes you can have a great Sunday if you just decide not to preach. Come on, enjoy that. So I decided not to preach, to read one verse, and then read the list of 30 to 35 needs for this family. So here's the verse that I read. 1 John 3, not John 3, 1 John 3 in the back of your New Testament, 16 and 17. This is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to do the same for our brother. And then 17 says, if you see your brother or sister in need and close up your heart and do nothing, how can the love of God be in you? In fact, the Greek word is plainness, your gut. If you close up your gut and have no compassion, how can the love of God be in you? And I was saying this to an upper middle class new church in Phoenix, Arizona. And I simply said, can I read this list and can we pray about what to do? I did not ask anybody to respond at the moment. I talked about the two six kids. I talked about all the needs. And when I said there were two babies that had not seen a doctor, I was reading the list. Dr. Turner stood right on my left, kind of right where you young people are sitting. I met you when I came in. And Dr. Turner stood up and said, I will see those babies on Monday morning in my office. And you get them there. And the place kind of came apart. People clapped. And, And he sat back down. That's all he did. And then someone stood up over here at Vince in the back, and Vince said, you know, I've never been in church except Mountain Park. This is my first church to ever come to. I'm an electrician. He said, I will go out today. I will find out what the needs are. I'll have that fixed by Monday. They'll have electricity, and they'll have everything working by Monday morning. And the place came apart again. And then someone stood over here, because I told them the refrigerator didn't work. We didn't know if it really worked. They said it didn't work, even though they didn't have electricity. And someone stood up and said, I've got a refrigerator. In fact, I've got two refrigerators in my garage. He said, I'm away. And so he gave that refrigerator away. And then someone stood and said, I will buy a stove for them when that electricity is, is fixed. 
And people were just, it was just electrifying people. And things were happening. Then Jan stood. Jan does my hair out there. She did it for 20 years for my kids. And she said, will you tell those older girls, the 13, 12-year-old, that I will cut their hair and I will do their perms? And she did that for the next 10 years for those girls as they went through high school and college. And then my favorite moment, people were standing all over saying what they would do. And then Mary and Robert were sitting here. They're from Casper, Wyoming. They had never been in church, but they heard I was starting a church through some friends I had in Casper, and they came to help me out. They weren't Christians. They had come to Christ those first two months, and they had brought their mother for the first day. She had never been in church. And their mother, her mother stood, and she had a check it. We didn't know what it was at first. She had a check in her hand. She had tears coming down her face. She said, you know, I don't go to church. This is my first Sunday ever in church. My kids brought me. And she said, I don't have, I can't do what anyone else is doing. I'm not a doctor. I can't, I can't, I can't wire a house or anything, but I've got money. Come on. She said, I've got money. You people respond out there. She held up a check. She is for $15,000. And when you need more, come and see me. And I did. Come on. people. <laughs> she paid for what we needed. Come on, this is awesome. I'm not confused what makes churches great. And I've experienced everything I'm going to talk about here. I want you to know that Mountain Park, I'm proud to say, they got the Chuck Colson Award for two years in a row. Because his dream wasn't for just gifts for Christmas. He wanted churches to connect. And I went to my dentist, Dr. Ferran. And Dr. Ferran's known all over the country. And he began to see people for free. He eventually had 25 free patients because we were serving the homeless. And then I went to another dentist that he knew and they partnered together. And then I went to a guy, we started giving cars away to single moms. And Doug came to me and said, I will fix those cars for two years. If you give a car to a single mom, you tell them for breaks or anything they need, I will fix. And this guy, average spending over 250,000 a year to fix over 200 cars. People, I'm not confused about what makes churches great. And when I met Pastor Greg, all the stories were the same. We had gone to Honduras and got clean water to 70 villages with over 500 people. You guys just thought you'd choose someplace halfway around the world, Kazakhstan, and you changed the world. I mean, there are Christians in this part of the world because of Union Chapel. Blood and fire is serving people every week because of Union Chapel. What we do serve week, I wish I could tell you we did that kind of week at Mountain Park. No, we didn't do that. I've never seen anything like it. And here's what I want to look at you and say. Will you do what only you do? Do you notice what happened in that service? People get confused about, do I have to be super talented? No, you just have to do what you do. Everybody stood that did something and said, I will do this. And if you've been blessed generously with finances, you could do what Mary's mom did. Because we're going to plant 10 churches. It's about $200,000 a church. So that $2 million figure was not a fantasy of his imagination. It's a prophecy from God so that we can do what God asks us to do. Now look at me. This staff motivates me, man. Jeff, you know how much you inspire me because he loves these kids, man. And now we pass that on to Nate and to Cole and they're launching a new 180 season here in the next week or two. It's unbelievable what this church is doing. Now, Cassie, I don't get to brag on Cassie much. She's our children's pastor, director. I was in staff this week. They're, they're so good to me. They let me sit in staff. And Cassie talked about not having water last Saturday night. You guys don't come Saturday night, right? It's because sometimes we don't have water. No, I'm just kidding. So we didn't have any water. 
And I thought, and she was saying, she talked about the challenge of not having water. But guess what she did? And I couldn't believe it. I was sitting there listening to this children's pastor. I thought she was going to say we didn't know what to do. They actually talked about maybe not having children's church and all that. And this is what she said. So when we found out we didn't have water, we developed plan B and plan C. Look at me, people. We developed plan B that for the older kids, we would pour water into the toilet tops and so they could still flush them. And then I have boys, so plan C was to march the boys outside where they want to go anyways. Come on, that's awesome. <laughs> Come on, give it up for Pastor Cassie. But that's not where it ended. That's not what gave me chills. And she said, we solved every problem, and that's what she said so calmly, so that these kids could learn about Jesus. Listen, she's not solving a water problem. She knows what her purpose is. So these kids can learn about Jesus. And I got chills. And I looked at her and I said, you don't know my message yet, Cassie. Do what you do. You got the right children's pastor. I'm not confused at what makes a church great. They raise kids up to know Jesus. They reach all the young people in the area. And they call them to be church planters. And they call them to go into every part of the world and change the world. And your pastor stands here and says to every college student, if you've not determined your major yet, would you consider doing something significant in ministry? Is it, you, were you here when he prophesied that? And we've had over nine kids let me train them in church planting from Union Chapel. Would you give it up for that? Awesome. So Garrett Craig... And Austin Craig, and they're not even related, and they're roommates, and they have the last name. Come on, is that crazy? I'm training them, and then we've got Paul now with Emily and Samantha. And Samantha's story is so unbelievable. I wish you knew her whole story, how God saved her life as a child, and now she's there for children. It's just unbelievable that we're raising up church planters out of Union Chapel. Remember I told you, hang with me with Quentin with a Q? You ready? I said, Quentin, can I tell you two stories? And I told him about Daryl saying, I do what I do. And I told him about going to the funeral and giving a call for people to give their life to Christ and that hundreds gave their life to Christ. And I was telling these stories that I do what I do. And I looked up. I was kind of, you know, in my high energy. And I looked up and Quentin had tears coming down his face. I said, Quentin, what's going on? He said, he pointed his finger, Pastor, from the moment you walked up, and told me you were a pastor, I knew I had to get right with God. And you know what I said? Quentin, you know what I do. Come on, people. <laughs> Enjoy me for a moment. I said, Quentin, will you give your life to Jesus right now? And will you do whatever he asks you to do? And he said, yeah, and I took his hands. And we prayed. And you know what was so fun? I said, Quentin, can I tell this story all over the country? Yeah, absolutely. So we exchanged contact information. And as I walked away, I said, Quentin, is there anything else I need to know? He said, yeah, there is. <laughs> I haven't told this in one service, so you get the bonus. You ready? He said, you know the catchphrase for Southwest, don't you? And I said, no, I really don't. You ready? We do what we do. Come on, people. <laughs> we do what we do. Unbelievable. God must have saved that moment just for you. Because you know what? This church will not be what it should be without you. And we have to do what we do. Would you whisper with me? Look right at me and whisper, I do what I do. Would you say it? I do 
what I do. Say it one more time. I do what I do. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. I want to ask two questions this morning. First one is very direct and very, every head bow and eye closed, okay? Is today your day to put Jesus at the center of your life? Maybe you've never done that or maybe you've lost your way. And I've lost my way before. So you can be a Christian and say, I need to put Jesus right at the center of my life. If today is your day to make that decision, would you right now just raise your hand right now? Today's your day to do what you need to do. God bless you, sir. God bless you back there, ma'am. Come on, all over here. Just raise your hand until I see it. Awesome. Over here to the right. Amen, back there. I see you. Hold it up until I see it. Awesome. Let me say a quick prayer for you all. God, there's so many that are just putting you at the center of their life today. Thank you for that, Lord. They ask you right now, would you just verbalize this prayer? Lord, forgive me for my sins, and I put you at the center of my life and make you the Lord of my life, the Lord and Savior of my life. Just whisper those words. Now, with every head bow and eye closed, and I can kind of see across the auditorium, so I'll be able to see if you move your head, I want to ask you if you will do whatever God asks you to do. Will you get back to whatever is central to your life? Just reflect on your life and how God has used you in the past. Reflect on your life. If you're older, how was God using me when I kind of lost my way? But if you will recommit to do your spiritual gift, to do what only you do, and I believe God will make that clear to you. If you will make that commitment today, would you look up here up front? Just so I can see you look up. I'm looking here to my right, your left. God bless you guys. I can see you. So many. Right here. I'm going to look all across the auditorium. Look up until you look at me. I can see you raise your head. Unbelievable. Right here. Would you do how you're wired? Your spiritual gift. Right here. I can see so many of you looking up. God bless you. Over here now to my far left and your right. Yeah, in the back. And someone's just raising their hand. It's awesome. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for Beth. Thank you for this staff. Thank you that you gave a vision 36 years ago that has never ceased. Lord, I thank you that they've been so gracious to let me do what I do in planting churches. And Lord, they've been so gracious to let me just be who I am. And that's what they do for thousands of people here at Union Chapel. God, I pray that everyone who looked up would fully commit to you at the center of their life and they would do what only they do for you. Because the verse says, whatever we do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Whatever we do in word or deed, may we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord, and everyone said, amen, amen.